OCO in Hawaii, this is Candace, and welcome to Real Indigenous, where we discuss what's on your screen and everything in between. With me are our usual hosts and our guest. Uvlaluatak, uh, Uvanga Angela. Maduwika, Sunrise Tipikani. Hi, Hasnuk Aaron Tripp here. And today we are going to discuss The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. This book came out in uh, 2020. Uh, here's a summary of it. It says that the novel is set approximately in the present day. The novel opens in Williston, North Dakota. Uh, we have four kind of main characters, uh, four young men. We got Ricky Boss Ribs. We got Lewis A. Clark. And we got Gabe and Cassidy. Now, the scene opens in Williston, North Dakota. And it opens with Ricky, um, it, it, and it kind of does with how he got to where he is and where he is, in, he's in a bar. The moment that this novel starts, it jumps right into um, right into the atmosphere of, of North Dakota and dealing with why this young man, um, or dealing the circumstances kind of with, um, it slowly unravels why uh, Ricky left home. Ricky is in a bar, he's working as a roughnecker or people uh, um, with a, I think it's with a drilling company. He's trying to use the restroom, but he's in a bar full of non-native people. And it kind of deals, uh, this this book often deals with issues of race and being mixed into largely non-native towns on reservation, off reservation relations. And Ricky, it deals with Ricky's death because he, he dies very quickly early on. A spoiler alert, there will be lots of spoilers uh, about this book. So if you haven't read it yet and you intend to and you want to and you don't want spoilers, you know, I recommend maybe saving this in your queue for later. But it does start off with uh, Ricky's death and kind of how it happens. And the way that it happens is very strange. And we are already getting a feeling that it's going to be supernatural. Uh, he's in a parking lot. He and all these uh, these car alarms start going off. And it's this elk that has gone crazy and is throwing itself against all these cars. So he's surrounded by this herd of elk on one side and he's surrounded by all these very angry, very angry white guys on the other side of this fence. And all we know is that there's a dead, a dead guy, you know, a dead native guy outside this bar in North Dakota. Then the story, so that's how the story kicks off. The rest of the story kind of snowballs into, um, it, it, it takes, it takes place in parts and in different locations. Uh, we're introduced to Lewis and his um, and his non-native wife Peta, um, and all these young men—they're—they're black feet. Lewis is—I uh, think he's working for—I uh, think he's working at the post office with Shane, who is uh, who is Crow. Uh, you have Lewis and his relationship with Peta, and he's just trying to have a normal life. And what's not being said is that something has happened to these four men. The thing that ties these four men together, Lewis, Ricky, Gabe, and Cassidy, is something that happened to them 10 years ago. And as the novel as the novel progresses, we slowly learn what that is, that these young men did something uh, that was against the law and fairly reprehensible, not only like against not only against like state law or tribal law, but it's something that goes against cultural laws and goes against nature we'll, we'll talk about the laws of nature or that's what i'll call it would you call it that aaron oh yeah yeah 
and Lewis, uh, we see that some of these young men, they all seem to be kind of grappling with a type of guilt because they all know that they did something pretty, pretty not great. And that has led them to, it ultimately leads to all their deaths, <laughs> all of their demises. And uh, it's funny as I was uh, looking at, you know, when I first started reading this book, you know, I kind of felt for these young men and I still do. I still felt for these young men as characters, but then going through it a second time, I'm looking at uh, how a lot of these characters, they're not really sympathetic, actually. There are certain things that they do, but they're not, they're trying, they, they appear to be on the verge of trying to do, make up for what they did in the past. And ultimately what they did is these four young men as they snuck out onto um, a hunting ground that was reserved only for elders and they shot and they killed all these elk and it's not just that though, like that's bad. That was bad enough. This is a hunting ground for where the meat was reserved for elders. So it's not just that though. It is that an elk, a, a specific elk that they killed is they killed, they killed a pregnant elk and they, you know, they cut her up and not knowing that she had a calf. The boys tried to make up for it. They told themselves that they would share this meat, that they would share this elk meat with with the people in their tribe and it even talks about that at the beginning of the book how these boys they 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 wanted to become those kind of indian men the kind that would bring meat you know back to the village and share it with people but what wound up happening is they packaged the meat they stripped the meat and they let it sit in a freezer for 10 years and now it's come back for revenge <laughs> So yeah, Aaron, uh, as we get into this discussion, I wanted to know some of your thoughts and some of your, uh, like your, uh, you said that you were looking over your review for it and I wanted to know like, yeah, how, what are some of your thoughts about, about the book? Well, so this is one of my favorite books. Something that I, that resonated with me is it reminded me a lot of it reminded me of a lot of traditional Tlingit stories, which will involve disrespecting an animal and then that animal getting essentially revenge for what you did. Something that I think maybe non-native readers might get from this book is that the thing that the that is the the thing that is the revenge is the killing, but I think it's more it's not that at all. It's more about the respect and the reciprocal relationship that has been disrespected and is out of balance because they didn't actually right the wrong and they did the wrong in the first place. Um, and so I just think it's like, it's just really brilliantly done. And I really like the structure of the book. And there's a lot of really like gruesome imagery <laughs> that sticks yeah. with you. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would ever get up on a ladder <laughs> near a fan yeah ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um but I just I it was just really it's of his books it's my favorite and it's also so distinctly his voice he's a big fan I think in his life but also in his work of like the slasher uh like slasher movies and stuff and I think that really like in this book it really felt like his version of an indigenous slasher yeah, for real. And I had read, and tell me if you've read differently, but I I, I had read that um, when 
we finally realize what's going on. What is this vengeful spirit? You know, this been, and I like that but for a little while for part of the book, we get to be with that spirit of vengeance. We get to see from the point of view of the spirit of vengeance, this, this anger, this, ah, oh, this need to be satisfied. And it's scary. It is scary. Like it's like being with raw instinct, something just so raw but it has this sense of justice and has this sense of needing to be justified and quenched and to, yeah. So <laughs> of needing to be avenged, of needing this wrong, this wrong to be put right. I, one of the things I had read is whenever it's finally revealed that this is Elkhead woman, this, um, this ancient being that, that resides within the spirit of elk, uh, of the elk herd, um, that, that they attacked, that they killed. And she isn't merely just, just part of the elk. She gets the sense that she's like, oh, that she's been there. She's been there for a very long time. You know, she's older than the elk and she just happens to be part of this herd, you know, and that you get the sense that she has this collective memory, this sense of collective memory. And like, she remembers generations. Like she remembers when they were being hunted to the brink of extinction, like the buffalo. And she remembers, she has this collective memory. And I think it's very fitting, of course, like, of course, the most treacherous wrongs that are done to us are often done by those that we expect to who know right, to do right. And that's why she sees, I think, such vengeance against these young, these against these men now who committed this crime when they were boys, but now they're men. And she comes at them because they're supposed to know better. I had read that Stephen Graham, like when I read this as Elkhead woman, I thought, oh my gosh, it's Northern Deer Lady. Oh my gosh, this is so freaking cool. Oh, they have a, they have a deer woman, you know? And as most of our past listeners know, I have this fascination and just, a, I have a fandom of, of deer woman, of deer lady. And I had read that Stephen Graham Jones, that I, he, he took inspiration actually from, from our southern stories down here in our southern culture of dear lady and that she often and that made so much so much sense for me like it, it clicked because that is that is what dear lady or dear woman does is she seeks out vengeance she seeks to do right or she seeks for those wrongs to be righted and she goes after those just because that is who she is she goes after mainly young men usually men who have done wrong and I, of course, I think it's no coincidence that the person who is able to begin the cycle of healing of this, uh, you would call it, I suppose, intergenerational, uh, this intergenerational wound is uh, the daughter of, um, is, it, is it Gabe's daughter? Sorry. It's, um, it's Denora, though. Denora is the daughter of one of our, one of our four Native American characters. And didn't it cast? Is it Cass? Cassidy? It might be Cassidy. Or maybe, well, whichever one it is, he's kind of the loser of the bunch. He's the, still the one that's partying, still the one that is just kind of devil may care. He, you know, he always gets kicked out of her games because he's too emotionally involved in her, because she's a basketball, so she's a rising basketball star. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, he dearly, dearly loves her. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I think, and maybe it's a life experience thing, but I think that there's a big theme of parental love 
throughout mm-hmm. this book mm-hmm. between Elkhead woman and her child yeah. between the mothers, the daughters, yeah, the fathers, the daughters, the fathers, the son, there's a son in there that they're trying to move along the right yeah. way. So there's, I think there's a lot of parental love and trying to bring the next generation back yes. into more traditional ways to make them healthy. Yeah. And I, I don't think that it's a, it's a coincidence that it is a young feminine character, though it is a, both she and Nathan, the young man together who are, um, but a lot of the power rests with Denora and trying to uh, begin that healing uh, with Elkhead women and the wrong that was done. Um, and I remember having, I was speaking to a storyteller, another Cherokee storyteller about Dear Woman, because sometimes in our stories, like sometimes when I go tell stories, that's when I, uh, one of the stories I get requested to tell is the story of Dear Lady. And I felt like I just wasn't telling that story right, or I just didn't, there was something off about my interpretation about the story. And when I told my friend Tanya Still about it, another Cherokee storyteller, she said, I told her, I have a problem. I have a hard time telling that story. I love that story. But part of the reason I have a hard time telling that story is I'm not afraid of dear lady. And she said, it's because we're women. We we don't have any, we don't have a lot to fear from dear lady because she only goes after men. And I like Stephen Graham Jones' twist on this, twist on that, that it it can be the younger generation uh, that can help with that healing, help with that. That well, and the whole thing with um, is it Lewis and Peta? Peta, yeah. That you know they're they're talking about having children. Yeah. Trying to decide if they're going to have children, and then Cass is ready to propose to his girlfriend. You know, ten years later, they're all starting to kind of rebuild their lives, like you said. But then, with Lewis, who's moved off the reservation. And his wife oh, and all the gruesome, gruesome, horrible things that happen mm-hmm. at his house. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The house Ugh. of the bird starting with the, oh, his poor dog. <laughs> poor dog. Oh my gosh. I was listening to the, I've read the book, but then I was listening to a, um, the audio book and I, ugh, I was like, oh gosh, forgot about that. And then, you know, his suspicions and then what he does to the women in his life and Oh my gosh. Blah. That to me was more gruesome than what happens at the sweat lodge. So then what do you think? I mean, we're you're kind of making this parallel where it seems like there's revenge is the word that uh, Candace has used. I'm curious what you ladies think about as the reasons. Is it simply that they've forgotten the concept of respect? Is it more? What is the retribution for? What do we supposed to think about the that's a really interesting question because even i as i was reading and listening to it again i was i kind of got the impression that it's a little all over the place uh, as far as focus i do like the fact that she's meeting out revenge for the loss of her calf but the thing that throws it off at the end is when she gets the calf back and then, you know, so was the goal the whole time to get her calf back or was that just a happy circumstance because the stepfathers showed up and, you know, they happened to find the place where the baby was buried. So was it all for naught or 
I mean, the guy, yeah, none of those guys were really reputable, but they died some horrific deaths. Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> some horrible things happened to them. But if it was just to get her calf back, or was it to actually end their lineage the way she thought that they ended her lineage? But then at the end, her lineage wasn't ended. That's interesting because you are, it sounds like you're put in a position where you are starting to feel sorry for these men by the end, despite the things that they're doing and despite the wrongs against Elkhead woman. It sounds like you feel that there's some, I don't know if there's, it's unjust, um, but it sounds like you at least have some pity. You're, you're considering them as, as, as victims and there's some sense that something is unbalanced by the end, which yeah, is essentially what, what doesn't happen at the beginning for Elk Woman, right? She I doesn't mean, receive that. And maybe they, um, go, if, go ahead. If we, if we were going to go full Shakespearean tragedy and everybody dies at the end, that's fine. I'm 100% on board for that because there's a place in the world for 100% Shakespearean tragedy. But the it's almost like a Disney happy ending when she finds the baby and turns into an elk and then wanders off to join the herd. I, I was kind of like, oh, I would have been fine with her, with them all dying. Because that would have ended everything. And but Denora, and and maybe it's because Denora was trying to, she was trying to end Denora and, and then found her calf and spared Denora. Is that what I'm missing? I don't know. Or did she spare Denora because Denora was putting up a fight? Who was m meeting her shot by shot during the climax of the basketball game? Did she show her worthiness to carry on her lineage? to elk woman elkhead woman or i mean if that's the case then why did the the son get killed in the sweat lodge because he was trying to get back on track he had gone through the sweat he was seeing his grandfather he was talking to his grandfather he was mending his ways so if i mean if we're going to save the generation the next generation why are we not saving all of the next generation although he was on the horse i will say that maybe maybe yeah you guys look very stumped what is interesting is that your the your response to Elk Woman at the end sort of maybe counteracts Candace saying women do not have to be afraid of Dear Woman. And here it feels, I don't know if you're afraid necessarily, but it sounds like you're concerned that there's like, there's no resolve. And that's like uncertainty about how and why these events occurred. And that's something maybe to, I don't know, fear necessarily, but be concerned about. Well, she was very definitely killing indiscriminately, no matter the gender. She was killing fiancés. She was killing wives. She was killing coworkers. Oh, yeah. Shane, you had one of the worst deaths. Shane had, oh my gosh. And of course, Peta had a very sad death. Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, oh, but oh yeah. Oh, and what I meant, oh, yeah, before like. Uh, of course, I was referencing like our Cherokee traditional story of of dear of dear woman and dear lady, whereas Stephen Graham Jones's Elkhead lady, Elkhead woman, she's definitely no discrimination, no discrimination of of, of gender, you know. And of course, I think a good illustration of that is yes, the death of all the women. But I I love that basketball game actually with Denora. Yeah, I like that basketball scene. I remember it feeling so very tense, and then Elkhead woman, it was like chasing her across this frozen land and poor Nora, like she's she's very strong she's very persistent but you know, she's tired she's tired 
And even though Elle Kedwoman is, um, she's wounded and she is inhabiting and kind of possessing the body of Shaney, the crow, the crow lady that she killed earlier or that she happened to, she led to the killing of later. It's just a very uh, kind of a, it's a very vivid scene where Shaney, you know, is, it's Elkhead woman appearing in the guise of Shane. And Shaney is, she tells, she tells uh, Denorum, I'm dying, you know? So she's like, it's almost kind of zombie-like, possession-like, you know, where Elkhead woman is possessing this, this body that's kind of falling apart. And she's like growing more animalistic as this basketball game, this one-on-one game that's going on. Which and it really got well written. It's oh yeah, yeah. It was super creepy. Like, uh, that that scene was very. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably one of my favorite scenes because it was the the tension. Oh my gosh, yeah. the tension building up in that scene. It was very, very, very well done. Yeah, and, because Denora is winning. Yeah, Denora is winning, and uh, it makes me think Stephen Graham Jones. He must play basketball because of like, yeah. driving. <laughs> like, you know, I play basketball, and I. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, Denora is quite a whiz at basketball because I don't even know, I don't even know what she's doing. <laughs> she sure sounds like she can fly through the air and, <laughs> and make those baskets. <laughs> it's not Did even. It? I mean, it's not real basketball. It's res ball. They're. I know. It's, yeah, dirty. and it's res ball, so it's probably like dirty and no rules and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a game of survival, right? Yeah. That's yeah. that's. Yeah. And then becoming essentially a, a superhero and sort of yeah. rising right to the yeah. challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Hmm. Well, one of the things we didn't talk about is Lewis is keeping the hide. Yeah. Of the mother yeah. He did. Because he, so in an effort to make amends, he took the elk meat and gave it to the elders, but then he rolled up the hide that he had taken. And put it in his freezer for 10 years and carried it around from place to place to place. I thought they didn't distribute the meat. He did. He did? He did take some of the meat to the different elders. Because at one point in the book, it talks about how some guy found the meat. Or maybe it was Cass that did it. Mm -hmm. Somebody had taken the meat around to the elders because they thought, oh, somebody found the meat in the back that had the the butterfly stamp on it. Mm-hmm. instead of his stamp because he had to use somebody else's stamp so it wouldn't show up as being illegally caught gotcha and they had opened that up and that had released the spirit when actually i think the spirit was released when they started defrosting the hide yeah okay yeah okay that was yeah and that's a that's just thinking about hair and hide there are two different things really but when we think about hair or hide you know it's holding a lot of information of the past mm-hmm. and that's an interesting symbolism of like this dethawing of ideas and beliefs and energy from this other time period and that they never it, cured it. it they didn't do anything i mean it literally just followed them around and even Peter was like why and then he was trying to use it to sketch out the body that he saw through the fan whatever happened to it do we know does anybody remember that from the book? 
Does it just get left in the house after all the horrendous murder? Oh no, or does it turn it? No, it doesn't turn into the calf that he carries. I guess it just sits in the house. It's the sequel waiting to thaw. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the sequel waiting to Listen, thaw. Listen, like if you've read My Heart is a Chainsaw, you will know that the elk come back with a vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to make a comparison to My Heart is a Chainsaw. Speaking of, nice. so good segue. Well, because the one thing I want to say is I don't, I don't necessarily think that Elkhead woman is in the right in the situation. They like, they did wrong, but like her, I don't know, like the, if the level matches the action, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And similarly in my heart as in chainsaw, there is like a, I don't know what to call it, like, like a spirit or something in the lake of a native girl, I think it was. And she like this concept of that one is like the story is like she could rise up and like massacre a bunch of people and so like I think like there's just like an over correction coming from like this deep-seated anger and hurt um that could mirror like our our own experiences with colonization and lateral violence and all that stuff and and how we react to it I don't know there's something there's something with that with his work mm-hmm. that is interesting i mean if we it is definitely from a different time period you know and yeah i don't know how old elk woman is i don't think that's i don't i have no idea but um you know it's essentially it's a period of like you know an elder would be mm. analogous right and so like the way it's resolving problems with r- relentless rage that's been just building and building and building right like that's probably dealing with this that's just you know whether it's in our dna and passed through our lineage this is what manifests from us it's our parallel Mm -hmm. so it represents that um it could also you know it's a um i don't know how to describe this it's interesting but it you know it's part of us it's not part of us certainly if we digest it it becomes a part of us that will manifest somehow. I guess it is just that inconsolable, uncontrollable, uh, just pure emotion. It's not just rage either. Like there's sadness, there's care for the loss of a child. And it's also probably about respect. Those are terrifying things to think about that are might be in us, might be in our past. And if spirits are around us, spirits of the past are around us this is what's also around us is that's what comes with them and that's a scary idea well he definitely likes a big body count a lot of gore somebody have a body count number how many bodies in all of stephen graham jones work (laughs) 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 well in only good indian it's only Ricky, the one that survives, mm-hmm. right? Ricky, Lewis, Gabe, Cassidy, Shaney, Harley, Joe. the dog. If we count the dog, Joe, Ida, Ida. Did Victor Yellowtail die? I yes. think he died. He died. he died. And there was another little dog that didn't have a name. <laughs> there were <laughs> like red several dog. res dogs that didn't make it. There were Cassidy's that didn't make it. Yeah. Do we count the elk? Head woman, the elk, the elk, and the cat. She didn't die. Didn't die. Don't well. 
Well, well no, the, when she died the, the first time. Yeah, when the body. Shot by the, when she was shot by the guys at the beginning. Oh, that's true. She did She did die. Yeah. And, yeah so I guess that's kind of like 12. You can count like the spirits of animals in here too. Or not just animals, you know, just the, the spirit, the spirit beings, spiritual beings. I know that's not all of them because uh, that young boy, like you mentioned, he survives Nathan. Yeah. Oh, it was like body count, maybe what, 12 ish? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, a body count for a slasher film. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's pretty high for a slasher film. And it does follow the the kind of prescription for a slasher film with, you know, the initial death. Then there's, you know, body, 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 fake body, body, body. Oh, no, that one's still alive and coming back to help people. Oh, no, it's dead now. Body, body, body. <laughs> fake body. Animal. Body, body. Yeah. Animal, animal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very prolific. I actually um, set up a, well, it's like a really casual reading challenge for myself. And I like put a list of all his works together. And I think he has like 20 books, like novels. And then outside of that, there's like probably like four short story collections and then like four novellas and some like a few short stories like he has so much work and I was so surprised to realize how much there was oh right books. yeah 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 now he has graphic novel yep did he have the comic book where the natives come back and kill Columbus is that the new one yeah 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 it, it, I, I can't remember what it's called something is it killing Columbus maybe it's that straightforward <laughs> I actually don't know what it's called <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's I think it was optioned for a show or a movie. It might be a show. I think. Earth Divers? Earth Divers, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what it's called. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a better title. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> so straightforward, you know? People know what they're getting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> Well, if anyone wants to do my reading, my my casual reading challenge, I called it hashtag the only good SGJ. So, and how many is on there? Is it is just oh everything? Yeah, I put. Well, I don't have any of the graphic novels on there because they came out after I put it together. But it was like twenty books or twenty novels, uh, and then like the short story collections and novella novellas. So, I'm I'm making my way through it slowly. <laughs> Is that challenge for a year, or is that like? Oh no, no, frame? it's for. That's like it's because it's casual. I'm like whatever, however long it takes to. I'm good. I'm definitely going to be doing more than a year, um, because there's so much. And some of his, I'm learning that a lot of his, a lot of the early work that I've read can be, even though they're good, I think they're hard to read, and so it's like a slow read. So it's definitely not one. I feel like I don't recommend anyone rush through his work, basically. Oh gosh. <laughs> some so like I think some I don't even know how to just like pinpoint it but there's something in his writing style sometimes that can be like really um it's not like a super accessible way to write things and you don't always understand like his first book was written from the perspective of this character and I haven't finished the book cuz I have to go I was like I was like I can't process this right now but this character and it was written in this way that he thinks and it's just super unlinear and he's not a reliable narrator and so it can get really like dense and like also really all over the place 
Um, and I'm like, I can tell this is good, but it's, it's hard. And then um, I read this like thriller mystery one he wrote that was following this FBI agent, I think. Um, and so it can just be like a little heavy, like a little dense. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Just, just, it's a lot to get through, like wade through. Mm-hmm. Is it just? A- um, I think it's, I think it's the way he writes them i don't need i like i need i need see this is why i'm still going through the challenge i'm not ready to articulate what it is exactly um (laughs) but it's like the way that the story unfolds i think um and in the writing style that isn't always as clear cut and so like they're not ones i feel like you would like binge read it would be like a slow read where you like interpret the work essentially i don't know i don't know and i love louise erdrick too so Right. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like you're describing, it's just like literature, you know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're contending with the art form yeah, <laughs> and that the words can just take you anywhere. And then it's also sounds like it's also the description that you're responding to as well as like the structure maybe, or. Yeah. I was going to say, well, there, there are even some spots in the only good Indians where I'm, I have to go back and reread and reprocess. Yeah. These description yeah, can become, of details can become really dense like the basketball game you know like i said like yeah no i okay so i played basketball in elementary school but i have no idea what that gal was doing on the court and i was like maybe she was just a more awesomer basketball player (laughs) you know the way that he's describing the moves and what she's doing and i'm just like he's super super getting detailed about this and it feels like he played basketball which you know maybe he did then there's also another moment too where i think he's describing um i think it's the motorcycle or he's describing like he's very good at describing in these very detailed things like things that people do which i think i can relate to as an actor is that it feels like it's an action that he's done before maybe and that's why it's so detailed because he does know he's he knows what he's describing but, you know, it's also like, it'd be like a mechanic trying to describe the inside of a car to me. And I know the basics of what the car has, but describing it and, you know, it's almost like a little, <laughs> it just becomes a, a kind of, um, yeah. yeah. And that, but that's, I mean, but that is his, his style. And uh, I do think it's yeah. cool because it makes me think, oh yeah, well maybe this dude, maybe he's worked on a motorcycle before, or maybe he's played basketball and again like <laughs> I keep on coming back to the basketball because I was like what is that gal doing whatever it is it's just very very awesome <laughs> <laughs> and that one's a good example of like he really knows like he you're like reading that you're like oh he loves slashers he knows <laughs> what he's talking about and he gets really detailed with it so Aaron, do you have suggestions then for like people who are first starting you have a suggestion about where to start maybe where to start I actually think the only good Indians is a good place to start and I think it's actually a place where a lot of people start that I've seen I think it's his most popular work I also think that what's it called mongrels is another good one and what's it called uh there's a novella that's really good oh so night of the mannequins is really good um it's super it's a novella so it's like a very quick read it's not it doesn't, uh, it's hard to say because it's like, it doesn't necessarily talk about anything like native themes, but Stephen Graham Jones has a really great article where he talks about how all his characters are Blackfeet, even if it's not explicitly said. 
and they don't have to I don't this is another tangent we don't have to get into it but anyway Night of the Mannequins really good like those slasher vibes uh the other one would be Mapping the Interior which is a really good novella um that if I remember right it's like a boy's father has passed away maybe and he's seeing him as a ghost anyway all very good those are all the, those are all the ones I would recommend so the only good Indians uh mongrels mapping the interior man and mannequins would be a good one um it's, it's pretty and strange. honestly pretty I, engaging yeah I think so too it's like it kind of reminded me a little bit of my heart as a chainsaw only in that for me in both of those books you like start them wondering if the main character is reliable or not and if what they're going through is actually what is happening um so i think it's an interesting parallel between those two yeah it seems like that's what's happening with mapping the interior like the mm-hmm. uncertainty of who or what is present yeah and that's something that's really cool like the more you read his work the more you see the parallels um and the things he's interested in writing about yeah seven these visions and but are they <laughs> are they real oh that's a great question (laughs) um i would say i um horror and romance actually are two genres in particular that have been very bad to native people um in terms of representation and exploiting our peoples for those stories and so I, a couple of years ago, was looking for people, Native people who wrote in those genres and wrote from a Native perspective, of course. And Stephen Graham Jones, obviously, is like, if you look up Native horror, like, he's one that pops up. And the first book that I read by him was Mapping the Interior, and then I read The Only Good Indians. And both books just resonated with me, and I wanted to see what else he wrote. And when I saw that he had such an extensive backlist that I had no idea about I was like well like I should go read them so that's what I'm doing yeah I review books mainly on Instagram so that's Aaron's underscore library I also have a YouTube but uh I had tech issues <laughs> and so I haven't posted on it for like I think a year but I'm gonna get back into it didn't you recently like get a fellowship award so that way I did I did <laughs> What? <laughs> I must be all humble. I did. Um, well, I got I got the first People's Fund uh, Artists and Business Fellowship, and that one I'm going to use to build a home studio for voiceover work for audiobook narration mainly. And then at the same time, I also got the Penguin Random House Audio Narrator Mentorship Program. <laughs> it's a very long title, but um, that one's a six month program where you get paired with a audiobook producer at Penguin Random House Audio and they mentor you and teach you things and help you get a demo set up all that. <laughs> yeah, actually you can right now. I have two books you can well if if your library has it I guess, but uh, I have two audiobooks up through Penguin Random House Audio that I did a couple years back. The Smell of Other People's Houses and the other one's called Everyone Dies Famous in a Small Town. Bonnie Sue Hitchcock. Yeah, Bonnie Sue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love her. She's great. 
Did you feel like you were you familiar then, like going in with that material, or did you have to like what was the prep? I guess for that, um, the prep uh, is not super extensive. It's uh, reading the book through one time usually, um, and just noting things uh, if you need to, like pronunciations and stuff. But for the most part, you just go into go into the booth mostly fresh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like experiences and emotions in real time. And Penguin Random House Audio has a director for their audiobooks so there's somebody listening in with you in the booth and they'll like stop you if they think you should try in a different way which is very nice yeah that's very cool is that so is that direction then like direction that would be very similar to like stage direction for example i think it's a little different because uh they mostly trust your choices a lot of the stuff that they'll do is like because you have to do a bunch of different character voices. Sometimes they'll stop and be like, oh, I actually think it's, this isn't how it sounded. It sounded like a little different. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it was this. Um, so they and then also they'll stop you if they, you mispronounce something on um, and correct you there. And then very occasionally there'll be like, I'll get a, a note like, oh, could you do could you do it more like this? But mostly it's just to make sure that there's consistency and everything stays on track. Mm-hmm. Because to get to that point you have to audition and if they like what you do they want you to do that whatever is unique to you in the booth so yeah and that audition is it virtual is it in person how's that happening for these for the two that i've done yeah yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um actually i have another one coming out so i have a, i've done a few auditions but it's usually like a um either a voice memo on your phone or if you have like a home studio you go into your studio and you record it and send it to them it's like They'll send you like, it's basically like an audition side as an actor. They'll just send you like a little snippet from the book and you read that and then you send it to them and they all review it. And if they want to um, hire you from that, they will. But there's no like live auditioning. How long are those recording days? It's like one big one day? Probably not, right? Um, Well, obviously, of course, it depends on how long the book is. But like if it's like, so that second one I did was like, I think around 300 pages. And it was spread out over two days. And I think we were in the booth for like four or five hours each day um, to get a, I think it's a six hour audiobook. And it's a lot of like, your, your like mouth muscles stuck to <laughs> and your tongue, like because you're just using them for so long. It's really fun and, though. I recommend it. And that's, that's something where you're flying to this location, to their booth? No, um... I don't know how all publishers work, but I know Penguin Random House Audio is really good. They like will pay for a booth rental or a studio rental wherever you're at. And so I worked with a local studio and she's like, she produced it like in, she did like the sound, engineered the sound um, Mm -hmm. with me. And so that was really nice. These are similar things we've encountered with like animation, I guess. Mm. Is this uh, definitely like a an avenue you want to head toward in terms of like performance? Uh, or yeah, my well, my my dream situation would be to do audiobook and voiceover stuff during the day, like my day job that like mainly sustains me, so that I can have the freedom to go do other things like theater or any other like film or TV or whatever art that I want to do that may not pay as much. And I'll still have this other thing that's like a creative avenue to do during the daytime. The the directions for that freedom 
right now in terms of whatever the non-daytime work is? Is it leaning toward one kind of performance over another, like screen over oh. stage or, um, hmm. or another art well, form? Well, so, yeah, since I'm based in Southeast Alaska, the options are limited and it's important to me that I get to live here of course, on my homeland and be within my community. And so I'm not interested in like moving to like LA or New York or Chicago or anything like that. So that's also why this is important to me because I'm guessing that other jobs will be more far and few between to go travel to other places to work. Um, right now, theater is my main thing. There is a professional theater here, but I've also traveled to the lower four. <clears throat> lower 48 to do theater and then I haven't done much film and tv but I'm open to it I just went to Vancouver at the beginning of the year to film a small scene for Alaska Daily um yeah and then I also have a voice acting thing for a Fox show coming up um that I'm going to be recording soon. So I'm trying, <laughs> you know, like, and I think, you know, Alaska stories are becoming more common, uh, hopefully. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that there, there will be more. And obviously I'm not going to limit myself to just Alaska stories, but yeah. So I'm open to any, anything that comes my way. She's here. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Somebody get me an agent. <laughs> <laughs> Book her. Yes. I love that too. I was going to ask, are there any more, are there any other takeaways, maybe final thoughts on this really cool discussion that we had about Stephen Graham Jones and, and your work, your rising work. So excited. <laughs> so excited for your work. Please check out her socials. I love it when she comes back from a bookstore and holds up what book she got, because I don't know, it makes me excited. It makes me want to go read a book. <laughs> So then what's next? What's What are the next reads? Yes, what are our next reads? What should we read next? What are you reading? Oh, like, okay, well, this month I'm reading um, the new Cherie Demoline, which is called Venko. Um, I am just starting it and it's like like a witch coven story. I really like Cherie Demoline, and Demoline, so I recommend her books, um, like Empire of Wild, especially if people are like, want to get into more horror so that's next for me this is a non-native book but I held it up before we started it's called oh it's too dark right now but it's our share of night by Mariana Enriquez and it's a she's from Argentina and it just got uh, translated to English and so it's very good so far it's just it's a thick boy though so be warned yeah very cool is it also kind of like a, a horror adjacent or it actually, I I have to show you the cover. Let me see if I can show it to you. Now, people on the podcast can't see it, but there's like a creepy red hand with yellow nails and it's a little spooky. It actually, it's just a coincidence, but it's also about witches. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually realized that this month that I read was reading like two books about witches back to back. <laughs> I was like, I promise I'm not like a super fan, but um <laughs> Anyway, so yes, definitely horror adjacent. So it's on theme. Awesome. Those look good. I want to check those out whenever I get time to read, whenever that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In between all the grading. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, this is why audiobooks are good. So yes, when you're doing other things, that's, that's what I true. do too. That's true. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Like the acknowledgements. Did you like do a land acknowledgement? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the publisher. <laughs> I believe that's true. He's Texas. Or he's from there at least. Yeah. I think that's North Texas. If he's prolific, yeah, he the, does. It's the sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw. Hold on. Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, it's a trilogy. Uh, yeah, like or it's we... going to be a trilogy. It follows, it still follows Jade. December 12th, like... 2019. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, uh, I think I like it better than My Heart is a Chainsaw. The sequel's better. Yeah, so it just got better. Mm-hmm. These need to be movies. Yeah, I, I keep waiting, like, I think I feel like the only good Indians is, would make a really great. It would be so yeah. good. Yeah, more of his work for sure needs to be turned into film or TV. Out there in audience land, you hear you hear this. Maybe someone will pick it up and turn it into a film <laughs> or a t- television series. If it isn't happening already, you know, yes. like, hopefully it is. Yeah, or even a radio play that'd be fun. And if it is. Call our agents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, I think uh, huh? I think I'll I'll try to segue us towards closing thoughts. Closing thoughts on our discussion tonight. I'm so excited that we just had our first book discussion here on Real Indigenous, and uh, I hope I hope everybody liked it. And if they do, uh, we will talk more. We will get to talk more. And uh, we'll, we'll get to talk more about that everything in between space too, about books turned into movies or television series or again, anything's up for anything's up for uh, up for grabs and that everything in between space. I think a takeaway I'm going to get from one of the takeaways I get from the only good Indians, one thing that stuck out to me as I was skimming parts of the book again is this idea of taking taking things that are not yours to take. And what do you give back? And um, as Aaron mentioned earlier, what do we give in reciprocal relationship? And so I think um, that's something that's sticking out to me and uh, really sticking out to me uh, as we go through this discussion again and we live in parts of the books. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine is, I you can't anticipate or we have no way of understanding some of these things that are being passed on you know mm-hmm. generational trauma is part of it but it's also there are ways of thinking and being and um there are spirits out there that we don't understand mm-hmm. i think that's an interesting form that he's depicting here just really makes me think about like what you know i mean we've been around for so long and there are stories that have disappeared with spirit identities that have gone um unknown i guess or you know i don't know it's just really interesting thought to me and it's sort of frightening and also exciting and also my takeaway is the importance of balance and reciprocity and Wondering how much of ourselves is reflected in those spirits and beings. Those are like important questions. I feel like we don't ask all that much anymore. He should be a guest. Yes. The only other thing I'll plug is I do have 
a book club called Indigenous Reading Circle on Instagram. Um, and this year's theme is short fiction. And so that's works that are 250 and under. And so we're reading one a month and we meet on Zoom. That's awesome. What days do you meet and what time do you meet? Um, usually it's like, we, we pick the date each month, but it's usually the last Saturday of the month at 1 p.m. Pacific. My Instagram handle is Aaron's underscore library. And the book club page is Indigenous Reading Circle. I'm curious if you have any suggestions about like, other Instagram accounts? Oh, so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for books, uh, uh, Thunderbird Woman Reads is a great one. Uh, Danny, her 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 handle is D-H Trujillo, T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O. She's another great one that I enjoy. Let's see, Native Lady Book Warrior. She's on Instagram, but she also has a great YouTube channel. Native Girls Reading. She has a Native Reading Challenge, so it's for like five prompts each year. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, but there's so many other great ones. Um, those are just the ones that I can get off a of quick scam. <laughs> cool. I also have a um, highlight on my Instagram page where you can, there's some other ones linked, like so that you can see more that you can follow too. All right. Well then, was was there anything anything else? Okay. Cool. I'm gonna go ahead and I'll close this out. Aaron, you're new. You'll love this part. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this discussion uh, with Aaron Tripp on our Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones discussion. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please stay tuned or please join us next time. Same indigenous time, same indigenous place. And don't just keep it real. Keep it, keep it real, real indigenous. indigenous. <laughs>